Welcome back to Vino e Vivo. Today, our guest is Alberto Cordero de Montezemolo. He's the current generation of operators of a historic Barolo winery called Cordero de Montezemolo. This uh, property is a, is a historic property and has been owned by the same family since 1340. Alberto's grandfather, Paolo, a legend in the Barolo community, began winemaking at the property in the 1940s. And today we'll be tasting some of the wines. Believe it or not, we've got a little surprise for Alberto, where we'll open a bottle of 1978 Barolo from the property, the last vintage made by his grandfather. So let's get started with Alberto. Salute. I'm here with Alberto Cordero de Montezemolo. Alberto, welcome. Benvenuto a Vino e Vivo. Piacere. Grazie. È un mio piacere. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for, for stopping by. Uh, maybe you can just explain a little bit about your family's background. Uh, I know your your family's a well-known producer of Barolo in, uh, in from Italy. Maybe you can explain a little bit about the family background, where where your estate is, and how you came to make wine at that estate. Okay, sure, absolutely. So my I come from Italy, from Piemonte region, so northwest part of the country. And specifically, my family, Cordero di Montezemo, has a very long history connected to this uh, uh, region because uh, it was a, a very old uh, noble family, Marchesi, Marquis, uh, who uh, had a lot of connection with uh, uh, the king, uh, the royal uh, family of Italy, the Savoy family, because uh, historically it was a uh, military family. So in my history, there is a huge quantity of... Uh, uh, people involved in very many different wars that happened in the uh, north part of the country, specifically from Napoleonic period uh, until the, the unification of Italy and the First uh, World War. Uh, so this is the history of the family, also connected to um, the first uh, printers. So actually, uh, vineyard and vinification uh, is something quite uh, new for the uh, family as a business. Uh, but uh, we always had uh, a lot of land. But land, uh, uh, one time, used to be um, useful uh, for uh, any kind of uh, agriculture. So from cereals to uh, breeding animals and making uh, good wine with uh, grape, uh, peaches, apples, and so on. So little by little, only, let's say, from... Uh, uh, 70s and 80s, my era became extremely more uh, focused on uh, on pr producing great wines uh, and be specialized in viticulture. Cordero di Montezemolo, so it's uh, one of the players in the area. Uh, we have a very long history because we own uh, this beautiful estate in La Morra. That's the name of the mm -hmm. village, one of the 11 villages of La Morra. Uh, back to the 1340. So it's almost 700 years that we own uh, this uh, beautiful, it's yeah, it's, it's quite a really uh, long history. Yes, it is. Uh, 19th generation that my family managed this hill. Uh, nowadays, there is me and my sister Elena running the estate and the, and the winery. And as it is, it's like that. That's perfect. And, and your grandfather, Paolo, is really the one who started 
the modern winemaking at your estate, isn't he? Yes, my, my grandfather Paolo was a very uh, smart uh, person uh, with a very high uh, respected and high reputation uh, um, person uh, because he was one of the, the few producers in a period, again, that was extremely different from the... Um, condition we can uh, see nowadays in my area which is much more uh, healthy for from any any point of view uh, economic and also uh, in terms of uh, life life uh, lifestyle uh, so he was one of the few that really had the opportunity and uh, and had the vision to play and to work in a way that uh, would be in, in, impossible to imagine at that time. Because uh, the era after Second World War was extremely, extremely poor. So people used to escape from my area and move into Torino or Milano, big cities where, you know, uh, expectation of life and quality was uh, far away better. Uh, working for uh, big companies like Fiat or uh, new new big uh, wineries uh, during the Il Miracolo Italiano, the boom of the right. Italian economy. So little by little we, we lost all farmers, uh, young people, so uh, the big uh, growers, let's say the big uh, producers of wine, so at that time used to uh, pay uh, the grape from different growers by weight. So uh, farmer, the last uh, uh, important thing for farmer were talking about quality because to survive the only thing important was making as much as they're possible uh, in terms of grapes so he was lucky because he had different things to take care and wine was one of them so he didn't uh, uh, need to uh, survive and live on on the wine business but he had the chance to really understand that wine could be something potentially enormous for the era. So he started the process of researching, selecting, losing money also, but uh, <laughs> uh, in order to finally find a way to make a great, great wines. And for that reason, he was a, a pioneer next to Renato Ratti or um, Odero, Angelo Gaia and many other uh, producers that again, at that era were really visionary. And he was also one of the ones that recognized the export market for Barolo, wasn't he? Yes, we have uh, documents back to the uh, 50s and 60s where he was the f one of the first uh, exporting to uh, Australia, to here in US, uh, uh, Sweden, uh, Germany. So uh, local consumption has been always important for us and for many other people, but has been always something extremely local. So our documents, uh, our records are back to the 18th century, so over 150 years ago. But if we go to see the these documents, uh, we basically always sold wine in Torino, Milano, Genova, so cities uh, in between, uh, you know, one hour, two hour uh, driving distance away no more than that and then you have to consider the position of Piemonte which is circled by high mountains at the Alps and uh, roads uh, and connection were not so uh, good honestly uh, also nowadays it's not uh, changed that much <laughs> but uh, if you think 100 years ago or also just 70 years ago was really uh, um, uh, independent uh, an independent area with a very uh, a weak uh, connections to the rest of the world.
And I know your estate makes a number of wines. You make a Barbera, you make a Dolcetto, but really the king for you and really for the area is Barolo. I know the Barbaresco guys are going to say, no, sure. no, it's Barbaresco. We'll call them the queen. So Bar- yeah. Barolo is the king. Why Nebbiolo is a notoriously hard grape to grow, in, and it's, but it seems to really grow well in Piemonte and Piedmont and really no place else. Why is that? But it's a, it's a hard uh, answer. I mean, uh, there are different, probably different reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, Piemonte has been always uh, grown in the Air Force documents, uh, talking about uh, Nebbiolo. Uh, we have Nebbiolium uh, in the in very old books uh, in the 15, uh, of the 15th century, so 600 years ago. Uh, so that means that uh, it's a kind of variety that has been always uh, grown in the era. Uh, and probably due to the very hard condition we have, because we have to consider we, that we are pretty north, uh, very close to the mountains, so winters are pretty cold. And nowadays with the global warming probably is a little bit different, is much more uh, uh, delicate and uh, warmer area. But generally speaking, it's been always very uh, tough, very rustic and very uh, hard area. And Nebbiolo, uh, little by little, probably uh, was a, a kind of variety able to uh, resist uh, and improve uh, with this condition. Uh, we generally say that uh, big wines and great wines are made in very difficult areas, uh, not the, the most fertile area. Typically, the, the best uh, and fertile uh, soils are the ones that uh, you use to, to plant cereals and uh, herbs and other things and you, historically you put uh, vineyards in the, in the worst conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, this was a, a great advantage uh, to create um, uh, very uh, important varieties with a high personality. It could be Nebbiolo, Riesling uh, or many other varieties that, which are extremely uh, unique and uh, only in some places in the world with specific condition in terms of soil and microclimate can be very unique and different from any others. Mm-hmm. So, so your grandfather starts making, really starts making wine on a commercial basis in the in the 1940s, and then until the late 70s, is, is that when your your father and your uncle? got involved in the wine making? Uh, yes, let's say production has been always made. So my father, grandfather Paolo, just joined my grand, uh, great-grandmother, um, Luigia, because uh, he was, uh, my grandfather, uh, Paolo, uh, a lucky and unlucky guy, because uh, he was born uh, the day after his father passed away. Oh my. Uh, so when he was born, uh, he was orphan of a father, and then when he was five, also the mother passed away so when basically he was five in 2000 and in 19 excuse me 1925 uh, uh, he was orphan and he was just five years old the only person in the family uh, rest was the mother from mother uh, excuse me grandmother from mother's side mm-hmm. uh, and uh, she was a very smart uh, lady also and she was involved in uh, farming and in um, managing all the different properties that the family has because this where we work on is just one of the different properties that the family owned and the one that was more uh, uh, connected to the viticulture and others were more on the flat side going to Torino so very fertile area breeding animals was the main uh, focus 
Uh, and my father, uh, excuse me, my grandfather always, uh, he grew up and passed his uh, childhood uh, next to the grandmother, working in the vineyard, helping her to make wines uh, and uh, uh, starting slowly to make the distribution. So when she passed away in 41, he, he was um, uh, 21 years old, so still be quite young and again uh, without any other uh, <laughs> relatives. So really at that point, uh, no, no, no grandparents, no parents, no, no one. But he was already 21. He continued this philosophy and then again, he was lucky in a way that he was completely free and independent to, to do what he wanna feel in an age at when he was 20, that was probably the best way just after uh, Second World War when it was finished, so uh, when everything is ready to be invited, no limits, no, no problem. So he was very lucky for, some, for certain ways, but also very lucky from, from that point of view. And then uh, when my father and my uncle Enrico were also ready to, to join him, uh, late 70s, uh, yes, the winery was already quite established, uh, uh, but uh, yes, my father Giovanni, he joined him uh, late 70s, uh, 79, and um, he was definitely, my father Giovanni, the one that uh, did a big improvement on the, on the modern way to uh, concept um, uh, a winery. And then a few days, a uh, few, excuse me, a few years after also his brother Enrico, my uncle, joined him and then this is a, a different story. I'd, I'd like to ask that question. I, I often hear Barolo talked about there are classical producers of Barolo, there are modern producers of Barolo, and it sounds like they're in two camps. But I've heard your estate described as is a modern classical method so <laughs> <laughs> yeah no this is a good question and, and nice because you know when we talk about wine regions uh, uh, there are always some uh, classic argues you know for a, each region for Piemonte the most important uh, uh, thing to understand uh, is if you are classic or uh, tra traditional or modern you know mm -hmm. it's it's funny because it's a it's a big um, conversation uh, uh, started mostly in the 90s uh, but yes, you're uh, you're right. Um, we were always been uh, very hard to uh, identified in a category because I think there are no categories. Uh, simply because uh, a tradition, uh, uh, it's something that we believe uh, need to be improved and developed with the with, with the ages. You know, with the, with the years, you cannot. Uh, 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 stop uh, learning something you cannot uh, uh, say I, I reach already the the, the top and uh, so if we did it like that forever we can we have and we must continue to do that also because the variabilities variables are uh, changing uh, just thinking about global warming mm -hmm. uh, this is one of them uh, what happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s is totally different from uh, the conditions we have nowadays. So you have to adapt your technique and your decision based on that. And this is part of the tradition. So you have to improve it. Uh, so we consider ourselves extremely traditional, but on the same time, probably because we always uh, keep your, uh, our eyes open and my grandfather Paolo uh, was a, a very in, innovator at that time when people used to make Barolo that used to be fermented for months and months and age for years and years, uh, drunk uh, only after 15, 20 years. Uh, he went to Burgundy and tasted a lot of Burgundy and Bordeaux wines and he, he noticed that they were 
they were able to make wines extremely good that has a great ageability but on the same time much uh, approachable when they are young and so he started to question himself uh, if they can do it uh, why can we cannot why our wine has to be something that you have to make uh, and forget and never open that's something very stupid so he uh, started already uh, in the 50s and 60s to experiment uh, techniques and way to make uh, a more approachable and delicate wine and we always continue to do that so also when in, we introduce a little bit the barriques uh, or the way you make green harvest uh, uh, the way you ferment or where the way you select the oak uh, it's uh, making wine it's not a recipe you always we always learn something new and you you also change your 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 personal taste. What I personally, I'm not a, an old man. I'm only 30 years old. But what I used to love and drink when I was 18 is definitely different from what I love and drink now. Doesn't mean that it's um, I'm changing. Uh, I'm not traditionally. I'm not. Uh, respecting what we had and did but it's simply that uh, you know we improve we we change uh, and a company and a, and a tradition also is something that have to develop and change well i can tell you nebbiolo is is one of those grapes that we saw quite a bit of here it's it's not not very commonly seen in wine bars or, or in restaurants uh our, our guests seem to, to really love it and it's it's you know it's got the power but it's got the delicacy and it's just that that beautiful combination uh, we, we sell just Nebbiolo from Lange maybe you can explain that the, the Lange what the Lange region is but also we sell some Barolos and, and Barbarescos and people really really appreciate those wines they're not just looking for big California wines or French Burgundies or Bordeaux's yeah you're right I mean Nebbiolo that's the beauty of the the grape is able to make wines extremely complex and rich but without being uh, full of uh, muscles aggressive you know on the on the palate on the on the on the glass so the 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 power and the elegance uh, together is something much more difficult to reach in a wine and Nebbiolo is able to have both of them in a very uh, superior um, uh, level. Uh, the Lange district is uh, is quite extended. is a very high, uh, large uh, extended area, hilly area in between 1,000 and 3,000 feet in the south part of the region, and is where the uh, largest part of the Nebbiolo is grown, and where you have both Nebbiolo, excuse me, Barolo and Barbaresco appellation, as well as Roero, which is the northern side of the river Tanaro. Uh, everything which is in the middle or mixed uh, can be used uh, to make the Lange Nebbiolo. So Lange Nebbiolo is simply a, a large ap appellation. Uh, to give you an idea, it's like the uh, most of the time you, you make similarities uh, between Piemonte and Burgundy. It's like talking about a, a, a Côte de Nuit, uh, as general speaking, or mm -hmm. uh, going to talk about Gévis-Chambartin, uh, uh, Vaux Romanet, or other villages, and then uh, again specifically to a specific vineyard like Latache, uh, okay. uh, Charme, and so on. But all the system is quite similar. The Lange system is quite similar. So the Lange Nebbiolo includes uh, all the vineyards. 
we can mix all of them it can be either in Barolo or Barbaresco out of the two in between uh, Roero and doesn't matter and we have a little bit more flexible rules in terms of aging and style then uh, you have Barolo and Barbaresco which are two tiny parts specific much smaller than the entire Lange less than 10% of it and uh, in those particular places, uh, the soil and the microclam play a big role in terms of uh, personality of the wines. And then if you go again in these two areas, both Barolo and Barbaresco, the entire area has been mapped with different uh, single vineyards uh, name, uh, which are connected to the historical uh, classic uh, style of the, uh, of the vineyard. So you have a vineyard uh, name, for example, Canubi or Vignarionda, Brunate, Gattera, Arborina, Monvigliero, which are different uh, than uh, between uh, all of them, because maybe you have more spicy notes in one or more fruity notes in another one. One is traditionally extremely tannic and, uh, and very rich, and the other one has a traditionally a more uh, gentle touch. Uh, you know, it's something that you learn uh, little by little uh, drinking experimenting uh, the wines then Nebbiolo obviously is also grown a lot in the northern part of the country or the region which is also a very lovely part that I personally like a lot uh, and so you think about um, Gemme, Gattinara, Lessona, Boca, Faro, all these uh, different wines are uh, based also on Nebbiolo grape and is on the border with Switzerland so very close to the mountains very totally different areas volcanic soil and I know you continue to change, and probably under your father's watch and your watch, you're, you've just were recently classified or sought and are now classified as organic. Is, is that that correct? Yes, this is also another thing that, uh, back to what we were saying before, you know, you constantly improve, change, uh, and you take your decision. Uh, we always been very uh, sensitive to what we did in the vineyards in terms of uh, process uh, and, uh, and products used and so on. So chemistry uh, has been always uh, very important for us and, and little. But recently when I joined uh, my father, full-time because I study winemaking actually I'm more uh, coming from the technical side then uh, no I study in Alba yeah okay. we have very uh, old school uh, specialized in viticulture and winemaking which is luckily in Alba uh, founded in 1881 so it's a very old and famous uh, school um, anyway when I, I start uh, working with my father little by little I noticed that uh, you know we did already a lot in terms of uh, sustainability and uh, you know trying to be as much more uh, balanced and naturally balanced in our vineyards uh, we just missed to make uh, the last uh, step you know and probably you know my father and a person Bruno who is the responsible in the vineyard and had on his shoulder more than 50 vintage harvest vintages uh, they were already over 60 you know changing something put everything in a, in, uh, in discussion again, it was probably uh, not so, they, they don't want to really uh, change too much, but because luckily I had this energy and I, I, I want to, uh, I, I saw that there was really just a, a little step to do to be more uh, full uh sustainable. You say, okay, let's start doing uh, like that. And so we started in, 2012 uh, 
to the practices of, of organic farming and we are nowadays uh, yes, certified organic on the entire production. What we do, a characteristic of the estate is to work only with our vineyards. So we, we own uh, and we also la- rent uh, vineyards for a total surface of 135 acres. And uh, the entire vineyards are uh, organic farmed and uh, the entire production of wine comes from these uh, vineyards. Okay. And what are you doing? No pesticides, no herbicides? herbicides. Exactly. Okay. So what do you do for <coughs> insect and disease control? But at the end, uh, the secret is to, um, you don't have to eliminate insects or something, you just have to control. That means that uh, you you have to um, be able to uh, create a certain balance, a certain um, way to uh, to have a good uh, compromise and uh, and balance in natural in the vineyard that you know everybody uh, is in competition with the others and you don't create problems. You know it's like a, it's. A, utopic he says utopic mm-hmm. like to uh, say my city is uh, there is zero crime it's 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 impossible but one thing is ever a city which is you know uh, crazy no rules and uh, something that there is there, there's no control and one thing is when you have a good way to control sometimes uh, in a in a little road or, or a, uh, in a little street something happened but uh, it's part of the life. It's impossible to control every single part mm-hmm. of meter square of your city. This is uh, more or less uh, uh, an example that can give you an idea of what we do. So doesn't mean that we don't have diseases and we don't have problems, but uh, uh, we 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 know how to to control them in order that they don't create problems to the final quality and 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 uh, and production. And on the same time. Uh, if we notice that something happened, we we immediately um, do something. Or uh, if we know that uh, we have a condition that is very sensitive to have maybe problem in a in a couple of weeks or the, or at the end of the season, we know how to make uh, some work uh, in uh, in advance. So you have to to just be a very um, observatore. I don't know. Uh, I don't have the right word in English, uh, viewer, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you have to just pay attention and uh, be smart to analyze what you have and then it's uh, quite uh, simple, Uh, it's not uh, not so crazy. I've got a little treat for us because I've got a wine that's older than you are from uh, yes. from your from your estate. <laughs> I think yes, it's, yeah. it must be one of the last wines that your your grandfather made. Uh, yeah, that's Monfaletto. a yeah, that's a very nice uh, surprise. Yes, uh, you you gave me, and um, yes, the '78 was a top vintage in the '70s. One of the best, uh, probably '78 and '71 are the two really best vintages. Uh, in the 70s that were very tricky vintages from weather point of view and uh, yes was the last vintage my grandfather did uh, really alone because the 79 my grandfather my father excuse me already started to making some wine and 80 is his first real vintage then uh, my grandfather Paolo passed away eight years after so uh, 87 and since that time, so the wine has been always, the winery has been always managed by my uncle Enrico and my father, Paolo, uh, Giovanni. 
and uh, since uh, 2005 after my studies and uh, uh, internships uh, and things I did uh, for to in order to learn something more I I, I can say that 2005 is when I uh, full-time started to uh, work at the winery yeah. Good. Well, should we try it? See if it's any oh, good? Why not? Yeah, sure. Okay. Thank you so much. So this is the fun part here. This is, this is brilliant. The guy took a $5 corkscrew and a $5 asso and made a $125 corkscrew out of it. You should describe what you're doing, Tony. Well, this is a, a two-part corkscrew called a Durand. It's, it's really a, a wonderful device for opening, especially older bottles. It's got traditional worm, you know, the curly part that goes into the bottle, and that really keeps the cork from sliding. And you put a two-pronged corkscrew in, usually known as an osso, and it, the screw keeps it from pushing the cork down into the bottle. Oh, I see. And so then, if you do it right, the whole thing should turn. Like exactly. this. And if you're really lucky, it doesn't crumble. Yeah, it is. It's very exciting. And these very expensive corks, which are very long. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Excellent. No guarantee how this was stored, but we oh, can see. I'll take a picture while we open it up. <laughs> oh, yeah, but oh, it's. Just pay attention from glass to glass in order to maintain. Looks good to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's quite tight. Uh, and and Need to let him breathe, and yeah. And from from the core, what I see is probably has been stored uh, with some warmer, a little bit warmer temperature. Yeah, because yeah, it's just a little bit uh, overcooked. Let's yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Matterized a little. Yeah, Matterized, yeah. So probably uh, in his life, you know, we talk about something which is 40 years old, and. Um, uh, had a period of uh, you know some warm shock uh, temperature, but mm -hmm. you know it's not that bad. is uh, is is good. Uh, it's probably just not the the, the best bottle. Right. But you know when you open uh, old bottles, uh, most of the time I don't look at the. I mean I look if it's a good or or a bad bottle. Absolutely, but uh, it's just a. The moment that is nice. Uh, also, may, finding some bottles that at the beginning is a little bit dirty or is not so clean, mm -hmm. uh, or uh, you don't expect something special. Uh, but then it's nice to 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 see the uh, the evolution and enjoy the moment. Uh, talk about the wine. Uh, be part of this experience, mm -hmm. you know. And this is uh, for my wine, but uh, it's a general condition. When also I. I love to open other bottles, uh, can be Brunello or Burgundy or Champagne or other uh, wines I typically lo love to open. No salute. Cheers, grazie mille.
not as badly cooked as I thought. No, no, it's again, it's just lightly right. yeah. uh, cooked, uh, so it's a pity because you know you can feel it that there is a great um, yeah. uh, um, uh, juice in, mm -hmm. uh, just you know, this probably. Uh, heat uh, didn't help uh, the, the proper storage. By the way, it's a good bottle. I, I want to say that is uh, absolutely interesting. And obviously, Barolo is something that uh, performs very well when you're drinking, uh, excuse me, eating something. So, despite uh, the fact that it is, uh, you know, very uh, rich, complex, and, and concentrated. Uh, uh, is not the wine that uh, it's nice to enjoy itself. You know, you always need to, so, need some food. Doesn't matter if it's a specific uh, match. You know, the the most uh, classic and uh, standard you have in mind. But you know, just something to eat. Uh, uh, you know, fat, uh, oily proteins uh, gives your your mouth a little bit more. Um, uh, fat and oily again, mm -hmm. and this beautiful acidity and tannins match uh, very well with the uh, with, with the taste and the and the things you have in your mouth and improve the the balance and the characteristic of the wine and then the food and I think this bottle is absolutely I mean the tannins the tannins have the tannins softened beautifully yeah. and you feel that you still have a lot of tannins very vibrant and very beautiful. Well, Alberto, thank you very much. Thank oh. you for taking the time to, to chat this evening. And My pleasure. Yeah. It's really my pleasure. I have to, have to try to make it to Piemonte and uh, to La Mora and come visit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everybody is welcome to visit us. It's a lovely area. It's part of the UNESCO heritage. Um, the best way to, uh, to explain and to... Uh, talk about Piemonte is simply um, come to visit us. <laughs> thank you. So thank you so much for thank inviting me. Thank you very me. much.